Welcome to the You Join podcast where we tell stories about grassroots advocates and the victories they achieve. In this episode, we talk with Tim Sarantonio, Director of Strategic Partnerships at Neon One. Tim's a very knowledgeable and very funny guy. We talk about his path to working for Neon One, impact metrics, nonprofit tech and culture, and we talk about the rights of 501c3 organizations to advocate, healthy relationships with nonprofits and their members, and some other things. Enjoy. Well, hey, Tim Sarantonio, welcome to the You Join podcast. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. We're excited to talk to you. I'm, and, uh, I'm excited to be here, Corey. Really, ex- <laughs> you know, this is this is fun. Um, I love doing podcasts. Love listening to podcasts. I even listened to a two minute podcast to brush my children's teeth every morning. Really? And every night. Yeah, it's two minutes. It's called chom- it's called Chompers. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's like two, three minutes, and it's like you brush your teeth while the podcast is on with your kids. <laughs> they just do like tonight. Uh, yes, like they did like a quiz on things today where it's like, uh, you know, locations around the world. This, this is the city that has a golden gate bridge and it's like San Francisco. And no way. my, my That's year old totally has great. no clue where San Francisco or what a San Francisco. <laughs> is. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of podcasts. So it was really, it was, it was a no brainer for me to join uh, a great partner like yours. So very cool. Well, Hey, give us some background about what, what you do and, and how you got to where you're at. So, okay. So my official job title is uh, Director of Strategic Partnerships at Neon One. And and so I've been working at, um, even though Neon One is a newer entity, and we, we could talk about that a little bit later, but um, the, the company that kind of helps make a big part of that has been around since 20 or 2004. And I've been working for them as a last month, seven years. But before that, I worked for nonprofits for like 10 years. And so uh, just like how you kind of have a background in, in, in advocacy and grassroots like yourself, for me, I was on the fundraising side of that. So I actually, and I always get excited about any advocacy stuff because my first job was for a day labor organizing center in Chicago. I was a grant writer. The entire budget of the organization was $80,000 for two staff members in all programs. And, yeah. and you know, that's terrible. And I was, <laughs> I was a grant writer and the board sued each other, actually. So it was, it was a oh, bad no. job. It was not a good job. But the people that I met, the stories that I heard, um, the skills that I learned, you know, I, I launched uh, causes on Facebook. Remember that? Like the, the yeah. causes thing i was like i was trying to do causes in 2008 yeah and and i was like wow what's this what's this like first giving url that i can send people to give like like i just i i had always been exposed to nonprofit stuff but he always thought it would be like a check right like it like not not any sort of digital fundraising so that very first thing i was like i don't have money to mail people anything so (laughs) how can i get get that so yeah, I've been working with nonprofits for a while, and I still work with nonprofits. Even earlier today, I came from uh, I help organize the Net Squared uh, group locally here. If you know Net Squared, yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. So uh, project out of TechSoup, and so I run the local uh, the local one with uh, uh, two other two other folks here for content review. 
And we just had a great consultant talk about communications. It was just kind of fun to like listen to them and then, uh, um, you know, just hear what people are experiencing on the ground. And and that's really important to me to kind of understand it. It's it's kind of when we talk about grassroots, grass tops, you know, same thing applies mm-hmm. when it comes to donors and, and the funnel and things like that. So, you know, it's just different segments. How do you treat them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you get into the, all this stuff? I mean, you, <laughs> what, what? I mean, there's a hundred career paths to choose from. Yeah, I was going to be a labor historian. I was on track to be a, uh, I, I, so I went to school for history. Um, I, I focused on like uh, labor, labor rights and, and uh, independent organizing and things of that nature. So wildcat strikes. Uh, I did my paper mm-hmm. at, in college on a milk uh, dairy farmers union in 1930s New York, you know, like scabs were going up the highway and the farmers were shooting at them, like from the mountains, like that type of stuff. Like Matawan, Matawan style. Matawan, absolutely. And it was happening like right around where I live now in upstate New York. And so uh, I just was fascinated by all of that and the history, all that and the stories that came out of that. And so uh, I pretty much was set on, I'm going to be a labor historian. And I went to school in, in the National University of Ireland in Galway, and I got a degree in culture and colonialism. And then I came back and went to Columbia University Teachers College and got a degree in history and education. I'm like, man, my CV looks awesome. Like, I'm <laughs> going to get into any program that I want. I got rejected from every single PhD program that I applied to, like twice. Jeez. So I said, okay, um, I don't have the money to apply to colleges anymore. So I think I got to yeah. get a job. And so wow. I, I, uh, I just kind of was working in coffee shops. That's what those degrees that I mentioned get you. And, <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so I kind of stumbled in and got the nonprofit job and just was like, okay, this is cool. It's like labor, but I'm doing stuff and I get to do research. And then from there, um, you know, eventually the neon opportunity came up after a few different jobs that I had. Uh, you know, I worked for an art studio for adults with developmental disabilities. I worked for a Catholic school that was Blackboard's Razor's Edge user number 11. And, wow. you know, got $5,000 worth of training on Razor's Edge, 100 hours of training. You know, my team rolls their eyes because that's like the stat that I always talk about. Oh, I have 100 hours of Razor's Edge training. Yeah, okay, Tim, we know. And... Uh, <laughs> And and then after that, Neon, they were just kind of like, it's, it was this, I was living in Chicago, and it was just this, I was looking for other jobs, and there was this company that's like, hi, we work with nonprofits, but we're tech, and we're looking for a salesperson. I'm like, well, fundraising's harder than sales, because people don't get anything, other than <laughs> something good in a receipt. Um and and so uh, I interviewed and Jeff Gordy, the the CEO at the time and still company president of Neon One, he uh, he didn't he bar- he says he 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 likes to say he didn't even let me get out the door before offering me a position. So I've been with them forever ever since. Um, you know, I I was doing sales and then uh, uh, a few years ago we started realizing, hey, there's a really big gap in how partnerships are managed in our industry. Um, people just don't do it well and they and they take software partner the big the big folks out there they take software partners for granted they take consultants for granted and and we don't want to do it that way 
and people don't curate the experience for nonprofits. So, so that's, that's even what you join, you know, uh, experienced and helped us grow that. Um, because it's very important to our philosophy to not just say, oh yeah, it's just like connects. We want to say, not only does it connect, but we can tell you with confidence what it's going to do for your impact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's and that's that's kind of the, the fun part about my job. So that's that's kind of what I going into. What are you doing now, Tim? If you tell me, te- you know, if you told 2006, Tim, that he'd be working for a, a tech company that has an international focus and running the, the partnership program and and type of stuff, I'd laugh in your face and be like, <laughs> what are you smoking? Like technology, <laughs> you know? So, well, I don't know anything about tech. Like I had a leading edge computer, you know, growing up. <laughs> anyway, I'm talking too much. Yeah, sorry. no, that's great. I like that's that's really great. So tell tell us about tell us about Neon. So Neon One is it's it's a company that that kind of our mission is to build the most authentic and curated experience for for nonprofits possible. And and kind of the non-buzzwordy worthy reality of that is we're a tech company, but we also realize that nonprofits do a lot of things that have nothing to do with technology, and we want to curate that for people. So what do you, when you say curate, what do you mean? So what we do is we actually want to walk through and, and look at what's effective. We want to look at the data on terms of, okay, if you are sending emails out at this time, we want to empower you with the tools to, to know whether that's an impactful usage of your time. Um, so from a tech standpoint, we provide a core donor management, member management, constituent management system. Um, but we also uh, just partnered with Rallybound, which is a, a great company that does peer-to-peer fundraising for um, Make-A-Wish International, Michael J. Fox Foundation, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So some of the biggest nonprofits out there that they do the, the marathons and the walks and stuff like that. But uh, we want to do more, you know, we want to p- make sure that we can service any type of nonprofit need advocacy, right? We don't do that. You know, Neon doesn't touch that. Rallybound doesn't touch that. So that's why we work with somebody like you join where we can say, hey, here's somebody that we trust. Here's somebody that has actually walked through and it's not going to create a bunch of junk data in your database. And so we focus on the impact. And, and so that's kind of what I mean by we curate the experience, because we do that with consultants too. We don't just say, uh, thanks for signing a referral agreement. We go, okay, what do you do? And so we actually have people who can cover everything from advocate acquisition all the way to Zapier setup. It's just like, we got it. We got it, man. Like whatever you need, we, you come to us and you know, you know, it's going to be good. That's great. Yeah. So, th- so what's your, your role in that is specifically partnerships. I manage the ecosystem. I mean, I I, I kind of oversee uh, that one of one of the uh, head developer, the head developer at at uh, Rallybound, uh, Shmuley Pinson, uh, genius, genius. And he he uh, he did say though, like, hey, you know, really the only thing that's stopping people right now is Tim going like, no, like <laughs> you're not allowed to like do it that way. And so that's kind of, I'm the gatekeeper in many ways for, for the ecosystem, but that's because I've invested a lot of time understanding nonprofit tech, understanding how nonprofits use tech um, and understanding best practices around that. Um, even when there's not technology impacting it. Now, what, you know, you know, with you join, for instance, it doesn't push any financial information, but some of our integrations do. 
And so the typical approach that would happen with an integration program or a partner program is that somebody would build the integration and then the company would say, we've built the integration. And then they would go, great, give us your logo and we'll tell people that you built the integration. But no one actually checks the integration other than the integration actually connects. You know, they might like look at it a little bit for a guide, but but they don't say, what is the end to end impact? What we do is that we actually look at the end to end impact. So if somebody says, hey, I'm going to make this custom thing that's called campaign and that's what we're going to use to manage all the campaigns because that's how cool it is. And we're going to go, no, don't do that. We already have a field that's called campaign. Just use that field because we've had some integrations where they've actually built it and from a financial impact because I've run the QuickBooks for, for a few nonprofits, I would know that it would push into QuickBooks terribly if the integration was programmed that way. And we have uh, one of the only approved nonprofit tech integrations to the QuickBooks network. So we know it very well. And I'm particularly obsessed about that part because reconciliation is key. And a lot of times the development team and the uh, finance team don't even speak the same language. And, and it's almost like how I, I bet a lot of the people that you work with, the marketing team and the advocacy team don't speak the same language, right? Like they're right. using different things when they say campaign. It's like, that's not, we're not talking about the same <laughs> thing. We're using the same words, but we're not actually talking about the same thing. I, I don't know. Is that your experience? Have you experienced that? Yeah. 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 I, especially specifically with that word, it's a uh, pretty, you know, it's ubiquitous across all the disciplines. It's a mess. But it, it's a mess. Yeah, right? yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> and that's interesting that your approach, you're saying you're seeing it from the 30,000 foot view in terms of the ecosystem and the, the, the nonprofit tech in general. But you're also down into the into the weeds with how this integration is going to work for the people that are actually, you know, because at the I, end of the day. Because I was that person. Yeah. I, I and 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 I've used crappy integrations and I know how much work it takes to get data systems to talk to each other. And and so that's why I do get obsessive about those particular types of details. But then at the end of the day, I just want good tech. And I don't want to put up walls to good tech either. Um, but I want to make sure that that we get good integrations as well and you join as a good integration for us um so that's you know it was a lot of work to to get there you know both you and i would admit that but what's awesome about it it's like i can then tell people like this thing is great like this is so great that we have this and we have 20 of these it was actually funny our our new ceo because neon one got a, a big investment to kind of start this, but instead of the typical approach with with uh, private investment in our industry, where you know you saw you've seen it with some of the other companies, you know you saw it with Salsa, you saw it with GiftWorks, you saw it, or whatever they're calling it now, FrontStream, all that type of stuff, where they come in and they gut it, and they fire people or they raise prices or nothing actually integrates with each other mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. they cut, they cut back on things, and that's not how we're going to do it. We, they, they're actually obsessive about that same integration approach. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but the name of the partner program was Neon One. Yeah. Now that's been elevated to the entire concept. Yeah, yeah. So that's 
we're going with it that we want to take this concept of a curated ecosystem and expand it out so everybody can benefit from it. I think it's great. I think it's really smart. I think it's really, uh, you know, just effective. And I love the way that you, I love your folks approach to it and, and um, it's exciting in that way. And I think your, your whole attitude towards uh, customer relations uh, for Neon also is very notable. So right. c- can you say, um, is there a difference between nonprofit customers and customers in, a pri- in you know, the private market? Uh, I think so. I think so. I think that nonprofits, it's, it's, it's kind of almost going back to that Dan Paletta, like Ted talk, right? Like in terms of the overhead talk. And I think that there's been, and I, and I love reading nonprofit AF, you know, from VU and, and the nonprofit happy hour and all that type of stuff. Great resources for people to check out, especially that, that blog. And one of the big impactful pieces that Vu wrote about was like, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be proud of your crappy chair. You know, it's like this idea, like my chair, my chair is falling apart. You know, (laughs) we, we spend all our money on like, like our programs. And it says, and that's, I think the problem is that we've, it's, it's that if we don't invest in ourselves, if we don't invest in our, in our, in our own self-care and that extends out to our systems. I mean, N10 did a a poll and like maybe 4% of an organization's budget goes toward technology. Like, I think it was 3.3%, if I remember, remember correctly. Amy Sample Ward, correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, the reality is, is that um, that type of investment, people don't make it. And I think with with software comp- or uh, uh, for-profit businesses, they do realize the power of that. I mean, that, you know, how many, I would do a quick poll of small businesses versus small nonprofits, how many of them even have accounting systems? And I can bet you dollars for donuts, at the very least, the for-profit businesses have gotten QuickBooks. Whereas if you go to a small nonprofit, they might not even have that. They might still be doing everything on a piece of paper for reconciliation or or they, they send it out to somebody else and they outsource that. And if you And if you invested just a little bit in your processes, your automation and your workflows, I think most people don't have actual software problem. I think they have a process problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if we thought about our systems and architect our systems, which is what drives the ecosystem for us, mm-hmm. that's why we want to solve all that. And there's a huge gap there because the options are either you buy everything from one, like one stop shop, other one big company, or then you got this big open toolbox that's pretty awesome if you spend a lot of money on it, but not everybody can actually do that when it comes mm-hmm. to, to something like the, the the other one, you know. And everybody, I think, can make an. I'm just from copyright reasons. Maybe I don't want to say all the names, but um, but the reality is, is that I think there's a third way, and that's what we're looking to do. And where where's it going? What's the end vision on it? The end vision is is to truly be that comprehensive, uh, open ecosystem with an open standard. You know, there was a big there was a big announcement relating to Microsoft putting out a GitHub and and the open standard for nonprofit data and you know Blackboard signed on to it and a few other uh, uh, places that we really respect uh, in terms of uh, the nonprofit technology that they provide but what's the reality there? You know, fine you, you put out you put out a standard. What does that mean? 
So for us, where we want to do is start pushing forward that that idea of a curated experience specific to nonprofit technology, nonprofit data hygiene. I don't think I don't think that people concentrate enough on impact metrics. And it's not about and it's not about like let's be more like businesses. I really want to make that clear, right? Like I don't think nonprofits should operate like a business because it's it's a completely different philosophy. Um you know, but but there are things that we can draw from when it comes to efficiency, when it comes to um you know, the ability to to spend a lot of time on something and make sure that it was worth our time. I it, that's just labor. You know, that's just that's just being smart with the time that you have in your day. And so that's why I don't think we should be more like businesses, but I think that people equate those those more with a job, you know, in the for-profit industry as opposed to uh, the nonprofit industry where a lot of people go, "Well, I'm in it to help people." It's like, "Yeah, but you still got to keep your lights on. So how are we going to make sure we do that?" Mm -hmm. You can't yeah. help anybody if you can't, you know, pay yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, so you're, you've got a lot of background in, uh, you've got a lot of background in everything with it, with nonprofit tech, but especially fundraising. So step into the advocacy realm a little bit and just, I'd like to hear about your experience about, um, ad, what's the value of advocacy in a nonprofit's uh, role, I come across misunderstandings all the time. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody that runs a 501c3 and they say, hey, I'm not, uh, allowed, to do advocacy. I'm not allowed to do advocacy. No, <laughs> and I just say right now, what I think that that we can do when it comes to advocacy is everyone's an advocate. We need to advocate for ourselves. We need to advocate for our communities. We need to advocate for diversity, equity and inclusion and kindness and openness when it comes to how we interact with other people. And when it comes to the technology on those types of things, we're living in a golden age of communication. And so the real reality is that's why I'm obsessed, especially when it comes to advocacy stuff on impact metrics. What are we doing to actually move the needle? Okay. Did something get gerrymandered? Well, okay. What can we do about that? Who are my actual people that I'm supposed to connect with? Oh, Guess what? Did you realize you can still at, at you know do an advocacy campaign against somebody who isn't sitting in an, an elected office? That's right. What, what about look? And I'll tell you, folks, Lyft is doing it. Uber's doing it. Washington D.C.'s home to Anheuser Busch AB InBev has its own advocacy office. All right. <laughs> so they these private companies are doing it. And so we as individuals need to also realize that and realize our collective power when it comes to that. And platforms like you join make that a lot easier, a lot easier. And I do want to make it very clear, Corey, that you told me, don't talk about you join that much. This isn't product pitch. And so <laughs> I just I just know and get excited about platforms like yours. That's the thing. Very cool. Yeah. And tell me uh, one other misunderstanding I, I come across a lot is the, the, when I, you know, when you actually look at the nonprofit sector in America, it's, it's a unique phenomenon. I think the last numbers I looked at was that the um, annual expenditures of nonprofits in the U S are higher than the GDP of 
Australia and Canada combined. Yeah. Or something something to that effect. And it's, some people it's high. It's high. Yeah. I don't think people understand um that Americans do not like our government to do things. <laughs> so yeah. somebody has to step into that role when stuff needs to be done and we don't want the government to do it. Isn't that where nonprofits sort of step into that role or no? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of almost we get into, you know, like like this is why people get screamed at for being socialists. Right. Like that that type of stuff. But but the nonprofits do serve a very important role compared to other um, to other countries in the United States in particular. I think that it's a lot it's a lot more stark here. It's a lot more um, focused here. You know, I do I do research and, and it's not that charity and fundraising and even advocacy don't exist in, in countries like Britain or Australia or, or Japan or or Germany or, or, you know, Brazil or something like that. It's that their governments typically are more, especially in Europe, um, a little bit more classically liberal. And hence, a lot of social services are taken for granted there that are typically filled by nonprofits, college education being one of them. You know, I lived in Ireland for a year. Everybody's pretty, you know, everybody's pretty much guaranteed a slot at university with some sort okay. of comp- some, some sort of compensation compensation. And look, Ireland is one of the top top tech booming countries in the world when it comes to, to what's going on there. Um, but. You know, here, what we got to do is you got to run around and ask, you know, the Rotary Club if they're going to sponsor sponsor you and which kid's going to win and and all this type of stuff when it comes to a scholarship. And so uh, that's just education when we look at healthcare, when we look at, um, you know, uh, other health and human services things, you know, food, food, that that type of stuff especially if we start totaling up the donations that exist outside of the typical revenue stream, like in kind. Yeah, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. Um, and most of it's individual gifts, about 71% according to giving USA, I think is the last uh, number. And then a lot of that is actually increasing with donor advised funds. We're seeing a lot more donor advised funds, but people are doing legislation around that too. I mean, it's, it's, it's wacky. It's all over the place. Yeah. Wow. So that's super interesting. Is there that when it comes to um, when it comes to nonprofit tech, when it comes to neon, when it comes to advocacy or when it comes to the uh, greater state of nonprofit? I mean, is there anything that you want to sort of pass on to people who might be listening? To the state of the industry or anything or anything? Uh, There's hope. (laughs) there there is hope no i mean it's i think that people are people are scared and 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 uh and i think that people need to know that 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 i'm not gonna say everything's gonna be okay because for for some people that it's just disingenuous to say that and i have a certain privilege to be even able to think about that type of thing but what i think that i can confidently say is if we look within ourselves and our communities and, and the people that actually were building relationships, if we concentrate on proper relationship building, if we concentrate not on creating a, a ATM re, re, transactional relationship with somebody, and that does get into even advocacy, you know, uh, I, 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 even though it might not outright have money, if you just go back to people and treat them like, well, they're always going to sign this petition. 
you know, mm-hmm. they're they're always gonna they're always gonna click this this uh, uh, this campaign to do the Twitter uh, thing, or they're always gonna make the video for me. It's like no, they won't. Your donors are not your donors. Your supporters are not your supporters. And so, if we look within ourselves, our own communities, our own databases, you know, if we want to go the tech side, there that's where the power lies. That's where the real power lies. It's not it's not Oprah. It's not Oprah going to come and 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 drop a, uh, a million dollars on us. So that's kind of the big takeaway: is that um, you know the, we have it we have it within ourselves. Tim, thanks uh, thanks for your time and thanks for the good work out there. Thanks thanks for having me, Corey. Yeah, you bet.